0: Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today.
1: Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at WinBet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fits on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at FitsFF and find my weekly fantasy rankings at footballgirl.com. Can you believe we are going into week five already? I'm recording this on Monday, October 5th, so we're almost through week four. There's still a Monday night doubleheader yet to come, but we are coming out of a wildly entertaining Sunday. Uh, those early afternoon games. It was actually hard to keep up with all the scoring. Browns, Cowboys, saints lions bengal's jaguars even chargers buccaneers which didn't seem like it was destined to be such a high scoring affair turned out to be one some really fun exciting football and joining me to discuss it all is kyle yates of fantasy pros he hosts the what bi-weekly tri-weekly fantasy pros fantasy football podcast uh he does projections and he writes about them for every single player in every single game every week Find him on Twitter at Kyle Kyle, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Pat. It is good to be here. Always fun to chat with you. And uh, yeah, I think, like you mentioned, the early afternoon games, I had no idea just at the point now where I'm like paying attention and needing to pay attention to every game. Those one o'clock games, when those are all flying at you, it's like drinking from a fire hose, man. Trying to keep track <laughs> of everything that's happening in those. Um, but no, I mean it's football. I love it, obviously. So happy to talk uh, talk some football here with you.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. I would get up to get something to eat or use the bathroom or whatever, and like there had been two touchdowns scored in Saints Lions by the time I would get back. Every time, it was just nuts. Um, yeah, so we we saw that offensive explosion. In the early games yesterday. And in general, we've just seen some pretty crazy numbers through the first four weeks. Like the Vegas odds makers can't set some of these totals high enough. So, according to your site, Fantasy Pros, there were six games with totals in the 50s yesterday. Four of those games went over, one finished right on the number, and one finished just short of the number by a single point. I don't know. Do you have any theories about why scoring is up? Like, I thought that without a preseason, it might take offenses some time to get fully in sync. But obviously, that's not the case at all.
0: Yeah, I think the preseason definitely has to play some sort of factor here right and especially too with uh, with training camp bring, being pushed back with that being different with injuries like that plays a huge role in it too like we can talk about the san francisco 49ers defense that supposed to be this super you know stout defense and they've seen their de- their defensive line just decimated with injuries so i think that plays a part in it too we're definitely reeling with a lot of injuries but i think the preseason and not allowing these defenses to get in sync Uh, especially when you have some of these defenses that have a lot of turnover. Um, I think that that is playing a huge role in it. So, I mean, for us, from a fantasy perspective, we're fine with it, right? Like the more scoring that we can have, the better. Um, But it definitely is affecting these defenses way more than I uh, anticipated, for sure.
1: Yeah, it is cool. And I was like trying to come up with theories myself. And I I did kind of keep going back to the preseason and, and defenses. Being behind like the other things I thought of were just maybe these teams are getting smarter. The coaches are getting smarter about the game theory, optimal stuff, like when to go forward on fourth and short, not settling for field goals as much. And yeah, and maybe that, you know, ticks the overall scoring up on average, half a point a game or something like nothing explains the quantum leap forward in scoring. We've seen this year, uh, nothing like that anyway. So. Sorry, I was just going to say really
0: quick, like you, I want to double back. You talked about like the the Vegas oddsmakers can't even set the over unders high. Like we talked you talked about it like those numbers are insane. Well, even the Jets and Broncos Jets Broncos was set at 40 and a half was the over under 65 points were put up on the board. Like no Vegas is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like re- they can't set it high enough this year. So just to go back, I just had to insert that uh, little Jets and, and Broncos comment there.
1: No, that's great. Yeah, it is. Right. I mean, like you're seeing these uh, totals that look like something out of the Big 12 conference every week. And it's just like you think like, oh, man, how is this game going to play over fifty four and a half or whatever? When, you know, it used to be so rare to see games have that sort of total. I remember that that Monday night game that the Chargers and Rams played Um Right. Where like I forget what the the total wound up being for that game, like 56 or something. I was just like, gosh, I can't I can't even fathom a total bad high. And like that game went soaring over the total might have even been a little higher. That total might have been closer to 60. But, you know, of course, they just blew it out of the water. Um, so I was thinking like big picture. And with what we're seeing from some of the top quarterbacks in the league so far, um, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, obviously, but also Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen. I wonder if we might start to see sort of a sea change in the way people approach the QB position in drafts. Because in fantasy football generally and in the fantasy analyst community especially, there's like this widespread belief that patience is a virtue when it comes to drafting quarterbacks. Just wait until the middle rounds and take a guy who can get you 240 yards and two touchdowns every week. But now if you're getting 240 yards and two touchdowns every week out of your quarterback, you're getting run over at the position by the guy who's got Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson or Josh Allen. Um, so I guess two questions for you here, Kyle. First of all, are you have you been generally a weight on QB guy or an aggressive QB shopper? And second, do you think this season might alter your approach to the position next year?
0: yeah so i typically do wait on quarterback i'm typically one of those people that i will wait until the absolute last possible second that i can i mean i went into a 14 team draft this past, this year and loaded up on the other key positions and i grabbed tyrod taylor you know and like the last round because no one was going to go near him and i was just like i need a streaming option he had a fine matchup week one that obviously didn't work out but yet that that's typically the the strategy that i i deploy but then Moving forward in the next season, I think with Dak specifically, and even Russell, like Russell Wilson is throwing the ball way more than he has in previous seasons. Josh Allen is throwing the ball way more than he has in previous seasons. So it's very difficult for us from a projection standpoint to sit at the beginning of the year and say, okay, this is going to happen. I just tweeted out earlier, Dak Prescott's on pace for 804 pass attempts on the season. Like that just doesn't happen every single year, right? Like, and it's because the Dallas Cowboys' defense can't stop anyone, and but in Buffalo, it's a different philosophy where they their defense is solid. They're just throwing the ball. They're leaning on Stephon Diggs. They're, it's a totally different offense than what we projected. So, I think part of it is if we can nail a, ahead of time the offenses that we believe are going to be very pass happy um and and this is a miss on my part where i had deshaun watson up at like 3 or 4 in my draft rankings and that was based on the premise that he's going to be scrambling a lot he's going to have to like try to make up on his own and obviously that just hasn't worked out up to this point whereas i had josh allen down at 7 i still bought into his rushing upside his rushing ability but yet i don't think anyone Projected that they were going to be this insane, you know, insanely high powered of an offense. So I think to to go back, if we can project ahead of time these offenses that are going to be the pass happy offenses that can put the points up on the board that may have a struggling defense that will force them to throw a little bit more, like Dak in Dallas, then I think I'm perfectly willing to buy in in those middle rounds, maybe even earlier, because I totally get your point saying that the advantage that they're presenting to you is insane when you are trying to stream tyrod taylor or you know these these lower tier options and you're going up against a russell wilson josh out like you're just you're going to lose there's just no way around it so i think i'm definitely more willing but i also think that this is just a super weird year and you know god willing next year is going to look back to normal um and so i think that we'll just have to kind of play that by ear but i'm definitely not opposed to it moving forward
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Like if you can get sort of an early read and a good read on which defenses are going to be bad and which teams. And I I think that's why a lot of people like Teddy Bridgewater coming into this season, the the projection for negative game scripts all year. And I have to be honest, I did not see that coming with Dak at all. Like I thought that the Dallas defense, you know, wasn't going to be top five or anything, but I thought it was going to be at least presentable, uh, respectable every week and i mean for that offense to be doing what it's doing i know they were a little sloppy with turnovers in week 4 but um you know hitting on all cylinders and they're still 1 and 3 just kind of remarkable um let's talk about joe burrow since he is one of those quarterbacks Doing really well right out of the shoot. And I know, Kyle, I will not have any problem getting you to discuss Joe Burrow. Uh, Let me give listeners a little peek backstage here. So you and I are in a Fantasy Pros Dynasty League together, along with your colleagues Mike Taglier and Dan Harris, and a bunch of other fantasy analysts like Sean Corner, Justin Boone, uh, Jody Smith, etc. And it's a super flex league. You can start two quarterbacks, so the position takes on added importance, and in our rookie draft this spring, you had pick 108 in the first round. Elliot Christ of Fade the Noise had pick 104. And the first three picks were Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jonathan Taylor, and CeeDee Lamb. So Joe Burrow is sitting there at pick 104. And you decide to make a move. Uh, Elliot's in full rebuild mode. So he was looking to stockpile draft picks and was happy to entertain offers. I made him a very modest offer to move up from 105 to get Burrow, But then you came along and made Elliott's, I'm not going to lie here, Kyle. You made what I thought was kind of a batshit crazy offer at the time. You offered him (laughs) Jared Goff and Terry McLaurin just to move up four spots. So you took his 104 and gave him your 108 and those two players. And of course you did take Joe Burrow. And at the time I was thinking, well, not wait,
0: only that, not only that, I sent my first year, I sent my first round pick next year, too. Oh, that's
1: right. I forgot about that. You gave him your your number one for 2021. I totally <laughs> forgot about that part. Um, yeah. And at the time I, w- I was thinking about, you know, Jared Goff potentially being a better play f- just for 2020 than Burrow. Uh, you know, I love Terry McLaurin. That pick next year in what's going to be a loaded class is obviously valuable. Uh, and Elliott still gets to grab a top rookie from a, a pretty loaded class in 2020. Kyle is out of his mind. And uh, But man, Kyle, I am not really doubting you and your sanity so much anymore. Burrow is coming off his third straight 300-yard passing game. Uh, he averaged better than eight yards per attempt against the Jaguars yesterday. He took only one sack after eating like... 14 sacks in his first three games. First of all, Kyle, go back to that draft and give me your perspective on that deal with Elliot. And then let's talk about whether it's just a matter of time before Burrow is one of the elite quarterbacks.
0: Exactly. So, looking at that move, I thought that Burrow was going to go 101. Like that was just kind of un, you know, question, like he's absolutely going 101 in a super flex league. That's what I was telling everyone to do. And so, when I we were actually recording a podcast As that draft started and then I check it and the first three picks have gone off the board. Elliot sends a message to the groups like Joe Burrow is still here at the 104. I was like, I'm not messing around. So context is important here, too, because I took over this team. I didn't draft this team. So I came in and took over actually from Andy, Mike and Jason at the fantasy footballers. I take took over their team and looking at my quarterback situation, it was Tom Brady and Jared Goff as my quarterback one and two, I was like, I'm not going to win in a super flex league with Tom Brady. Now at this point of his career in Jared Goff, like I just personally, am not a Jared Goff guy. So I was like, he's a QB two in fantasy. I was just like, I'm going to move him if I can now sending away Terry McLaurin, that one definitely hurt. But I knew that I needed to come in hot because for Joe Burrow to still be sitting there at the 104, I was like, I have to come in hot. I have to send away assets. And so in a situation where I was like, I need this going, I I confidently believe that Joe Burrow will be one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL in a couple of years time. Now I didn't project him to be coming out firing in year one and have three, you know, straight 300 yard passing games. But I knew that for, in order for me to win down the road, I was going to have to have a good quarterback. And so I am taking the long-term approach in this league. I'm going to, you know, roll it out and or run it out, uh, ride it out. Excuse me. That's the word I was looking for and just kind of take this approach and, and see how it goes. But I knew that I needed to have that quarterback and I knew that I needed to come in hot. So for me to send away those assets, yes, it's crazy. But also that 2021 first round pick, that draft is going to be insane. Yes, I believe there are some, you know, insanely talented options, but yet For that draft, there's so much unpredictability with the college football season looking the way that it is right now. So we just don't even know what those players are going to turn into, what those players are going to look like. So when I could go out and get a player that I know is going to be a top-notch talent,
1: uh, I was going to go do that and go get my guy. And the thing is, though, like that's like you... Knew that you were sure about that, and I'm not sure everyone did about Burrow because he had had the one great season, of course, and it was just you know an, arguably the best college season by a quarterback of all time. But it was just one season, and uh, you know how much of it was the the Joe Brady system, how much of it was the supporting cast with uh, Chase and Jefferson and Edwards-Helaire, and and just all this insane talent around him. But like you were pretty confident that it was, in fact, Burrow uh, running the show there. So, I mean, and now you're pretty confident that he can become, in short order, a a top five quarterback in the NFL. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's
0: a player to bet on as far as them projecting, like this was the best quarterback prospect that we had seen coming out since Andrew Luck. And so I was like, if there is a player to go bet the house on, it's going to be Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah. And uh, like we're seeing it now with the. I, I saw a tweet this morning where um, when Burrow was in his last year at LSU, his numbers on throws 20 yards or more downfield were like crazy. Like almost 60% completion for throws that deep, which is wild for, uh, you know, 18 two TDs, two interceptions, over 1,000 yards. And he like that is it. He is an accomplished downfield passer. He puts it on the money. And um, I mean, it's just been fun to watch this Cincinnati offense immediately go from like, you know, zero to 80 when Joe Burrow arrives. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and Elliot or uh, Kyle, I wish I could remember my trade offer to Elliot for that number one Oh four pick to move up one spot. Cause you came along and blew it out of the water. Like someone dropping a bowling ball on a child's bathtub toy. <laughs> I mean, that was just <laughs> Elliot was like, uh, I'll do respect, but I got to take Kyle's offer. I'm like, yeah, I think you do. Um, st- <laughs> so staying on the Bengals for a minute, Joe Mixon was a disappointment for three weeks and then just explodes in week four. How should we assess him now? Are we kind of back to where we started with him in draft season, viewing him as sort of a low end RB1? I hope so. And that was kind of my thing. Like I had dropped him down in rest of season
0: rankings because what we had seen wasn't great, but he was still getting the workload that made me confident to buy in. Right. And I, I put out a tweet yesterday. I was like, this is why we told you to keep starting Joe Mixon. And that was something that tags Dan and I were preaching it was just like, keep starting Joe Mixon. I know that it doesn't feel great. I'm in that same boat. I said in a lot of dynasty startups, I had walked out with like my first four rounds were Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, Calvin Ridley and Robert Woods. Felt confident about the wide receivers through three weeks. I felt terrible about the running backs. You know, I was (laughs) I wasn't even staying competitive in these games because of Mixon and Drake. But I felt confident moving forward that it could bounce back. And we saw that even last year in 2019 with Mixon. He had a rough start to the season and then it turned around. This was the matchup to make you buy back in. right? This was a good matchup for Joe Mixon, but... With his work in the receiving game too, he was heavily targeted out of the backfield last week. We barely saw Giovanni Bernard a factor, which is what we wanted to see, right? The first three weeks looking at Zach Taylor going, get Giovanni Bernard off the field, right? Like what benefit does he bring to your team that Joe Mixon doesn't? So this is what we wanted to see. I am confident. I'm buying back in. He moved back up into, I think, RB9 in my rest of the season ranking. So I'm not putting, I had him. I was, I was very aggressive on him uh, in my draft rankings. I think I had him up at four or five in half PPR. So I'm not necessarily all the way back up there yet, but I think that we need to start buying back in and Mixon is a confident every week start for your lineup moving forward.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I am. I think I had him like seventh overall in, in pre-draft rankings. And I think I'd be pretty close to that now just, and part of it is tied in with Burrow and how well Burrow has moved the offense, which, you know, sort of enhances, uh, Mixon's, touchdown outlook you know we finally saw him get in and and get in repeatedly in week four which was kind of nice after the uh the drought of the first three weeks Kyle is AJ Green toast at this point I think that we have
0: to yes <laughs> I think that I think that he is uh especially to when you factor in that T Higgins is stepping in and T Higgins was someone that I really, really liked coming out of college. Uh, and he was drafted a much higher than I even thought that he was. So uh, in comparison, like he was drafted the first pick of the second round, the Bengals were indicating that he is a part of their future, maybe even in the, uh, the short term. And then as soon as we saw John Ross be a healthy scratch, that so was like, all right, wheels up, here we go with T Higgins. And I think that he's only going to continue to increase his role in this offense. Burrow is going to grow with because Higgins is a future AJ Green hasn't been extended right like the contract extension talks that never happened so the Bengals are most likely just moving on from AJ Green next season and at this point why wouldn't you like heavily targeted not converting anything this year like horrible horrible completion percentage to AJ Green this year based on his targets. so at this point keep moving forward with Higgins because he's the future of your franchise alongside Joe Burrow and if you now have Tyler Boyd and T Higgins as your one a and one B essentially in this offense, then that leaves very little left over for AJ green. So I think he's going to still be on the field. And I think it benefits Higgins for green to still be on the field, drawing away some of that coverage from opposing corners. But if you're an opposing defense, how do you stop this receiving core with T Higgins, Tyler Boyd and AJ green still being, you know, a threat, right? I don't think he's much of a, a presence, but still you have to account for him on the field. So, I think that, uh, yeah, I think A.J. Green, it's time to move on. I think that you, as far, like from a fantasy perspective, I think that you can drop him uh, wide receiver, like something like outside the top 70 on the season. That's not great. So I think that you can move on from him because T. Higgins has emerged.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. The rapid ascension of Higgins from like, oh, there's T. Higgins to, uh, as you mentioned, John Ross being scratched. Like, oh, now Higgins is going to play a more prominent role to in week four just clearly sort of replacing aj green as as burrow's number one boundary receiver so and just the uh i think you mentioned the the completion percentage on throws to aj green as well as joe burrow has played i think his passer rating on throws to aj green is like under 20 right now which is just it's so bad (laughs) i mean yeah, and it's which means it's probably like one twenty on on throws to other. Well, maybe not that high, but uh, you know he's been much more efficient throwing the Higgins and Boyd. Uh, Kyle, let's talk about perhaps your finest call of fantasy draft season, or actually more like the lead up to NFL uh, and fantasy draft season, because you were all over this guy spring and summer. Um, you were all in on Titans tight end Janu Smith, and he has been terrific so far. 13 catches, 181 yards, and three touchdowns through three games. I'm sure the people with Janu Smith on their rosters missed having him around in week four with the postponement of Titans-Steelers. Are you optimistic that Janu can continue to be this sort of consistent tight end one? I
0: am. And I think that, yeah, if you look across the industry, I don't know if there was a player and analyst that was more synonymous than Jonu Smith and myself. Like <laughs> looking at week one, I was like going into week one. I was like, I I cannot state the importance of Jonu Smith having a good game because I was like, if Jonu comes out and gets two targets and like one catch for 20 yards, I'm done. Like there's just no coming back from it. So for him to come out and have as I, I did not project in any way that he was going to come out and have this hot of a start to the season for sure, but I believe that he could be a value at his draft price, and that was what was leading me to say, like, let's go all in on Jonu Smith because he was going off the board as a tight end 16 in drafts. Like, go get this guy because he has top three upside, so that was the whole reasoning and logic behind the Jonu Smith pick. I did not project that he was going to have this hot to, uh you know, of a start to the season, but... I think moving forward, you absolutely have to be viewing Janu in this light, even though he's not seeing the target totals that, you know, (laughs) George Kittle is uh, with 15 targets last night and 15 receptions. But, you know, he's not seeing that type of workload, but yet he's still a lethal threat after the catch. I think the second best tight end in the NFL as far as after the catch ability only behind George Kittle. And he's a part, a huge part of this offense, even with AJ Brown coming back into the lineup reportedly in week five, assuming that the Titans do play. I still think that may even help Johnny Smith because it opens up the offense. The Titans are picking up their pace of play this season. It only goes towards helping John Smith. And so at this point, you can't bench him.
1: Yeah. And that was kind of my concern for Jonu. um, You know, and your your prediction of a breakout season, like I was worried, is there enough passing volume with the Titans to support it? But, I mean, that is a narrow target tree. Uh, You know, even with A.J. Brown coming back, it's basically just, you know, A.J. Brown, uh, the occasional throws to Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys. They still are not throwing to Derrick Henry very much. So, uh, yeah, there was definitely enough room for Jono to eat. And like you said, I mean, he's just terrific after the catch. It's funny when you – or any other analyst gets sort of tied to one person like that. I mean, I, I know, you know, I was promoting Jonathan Taylor pretty heavily off season, all off season. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were going to be upset with me if, if that pick didn't click or, uh, you know, happy with me, if it did, maybe the jury's still a little out, out with him, but, um, that wasn't exactly a small bandwagon, though. That was like a, a passenger ship of people who were on Jonathan Taylor. So it's not like I was the only one with you and Janu, That was definitely a flagship guy. So I'm glad it's worked out for you. The sake of your reputation. Uh, <laughs> and it's nice that, you know, I've seen people, you know, Johnu does something and and people, you know, filling your timeline.
0: Oh, my with, mentions uh, blow up anytime that he does some anything, anytime that he does anything. It's yeah, but, always just
1: right yeah. to my mentions. The gifs are superb, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's let's talk about your whirlwind experience at Fantasy Pro so far, Kyle. Um, so you went from like, you know, in short order, where where you had been doing the the part time stuff for fantasy football, uh, the fantasy footballers, and you go from having like this modest Twitter following to having now almost twenty thousand followers. You'll probably get there by the end of the week at this rate, uh, and hosting this podcast that's listened to by tens of thousands of people every week. Um, And and that's the fun part, I guess. But I know how hard you and Tags and Dan have to grind during the football season. Like it's certainly not a nine to five job for you guys in the fall. I mean, I would guess you guys are putting in probably like 70 hours a week, at least these days. So with all of this, the, the rapidly expanding following that you've developed, the crazy hours, what have the last nine months or so been like for you um i think a
0: mixture of things right Uh, humbling is the first as you mentioned you know like the twitter following exploding and everything like humbling is the first word that comes to mind like i am extremely humbled to be in this spot to have the platform that i have now it's just shocking it's um crazy but yet it's humbling at the same time because i think that there are a lot of people obviously I put in the application for the job like many, many others did in the fantasy football space. And for fantasy pros to choose me over many other qualified applications was humbling to begin with. So then for that to just continue to grow for me to settle into my role here at fantasy pros, it's uh, yeah, humbling is definitely the right word. But then I think, yeah, it's just been whirlwind is definitely the right word to use because not only were, you know, yeah, 5,000 followers, I think on Twitter when I came on in January. And then now going from dynasty season to having a hosting a a live draft show that we got like 85,000 views uh, for the NFL draft to then, you know, draft season to then all of it, man, all of it is just crazy. So I can look back and I'm like, this feels like the longest year of my life. If I look back and say like everything that has happened, um, not only just professionally, but then personally too, but then It just feels like it has flown by at the same time. It's a very, very weird dynamic for me to say, okay, even from January, all this stuff that has happened, but then now, you know, it just feels like it's flown by at the same time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the personal stuff on top of this professional whirlwind, I know you've got a young son. How old is he now? Uh, He turned two in July. Okay. So a a two-year-old, I I believe you and your wife just bought a new house too. Is that right? Yes. So
0: we... (laughs) I think one of the most idiotic things that I have done in my lifetime was sitting in June going, what if we sold our house? I think that would be a good decision and move during week 2 of the NFL season. I think that would probably be if I could go back in time I would absolutely slap myself. Um but no, I think you know we're we're super happy to be uh, we moved into a new build, so we're we're going through, you know, we've got a put in a lawn and, and everything that goes along with it. But no, we're extremely happy. We hope that this is our forever home. We're truly just getting settled. That's been our word of the month, if you will. Like, just let's get settled. Let's put down our roots here into something that we believe can be a forever home. So, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely crazy. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, having the little guy running around, moving, living out of boxes, and then trying to do the Fantasy Pros grind every week, I, I can't even imagine what the last few weeks have been like for you, man. Uh, that's got to be wild. Uh, so one one last thing about the Fantasy Pros gig I wanted to bring up with you, Kyle, and, and this isn't an especially pleasant topic, but one of your colleagues, Bobby Sylvester, was fired this summer for knots. Well, I'm not going to rehash it in detail, but It was a pretty severe instance of social media misconduct. Uh, The episode brought sort of a lot of negative attention to fantasy pros, and you and Tags caught some of the splatter, even though you guys had nothing to do with it. Uh, But I have to say, for all the unwelcome attention that you guys did get, I thought you and Tags, and Dan too, uh, handled it with just extraordinary grace, and it seemed like a lot of your supporters sort of really rallied behind you guys i mean i saw a lot of messages of encouragement to you on twitter um you know just a lot of support generally so i certainly won't ask you to replay the whole episode here but what was that like for you after having this at that point it had been kind of a nice honeymoon for you at fantasy pros and all of a sudden you're thrust into this crisis not of your own making uh did that seem surreal to you at the time like this can't be happening can it
0: that's really the phrase this can't be happening that was the one that kept going through my mind specifically it was a rough couple days um for sure and i think that that was the phrase that kept going through my mind was this can't be happening and there's nothing that you can do in your professional career up to this point to train you for that type of situation right it's a very very specific and unique situation that i pray that we never have to go through again and i believe that we have the right people on the right seats of the bus here at Fantasy Pros to make sure that that doesn't happen again moving forward. So as far as what you mentioned, yeah, we, we received some, some negative press, if you will, from the no names on Twitter, right? The people that just don't have the profile photos attached So, you know, you know, the type, right. (laughs) And those types of comments that would exact those type of people that would just come in and would say um, specifically towards me uh, and my faith too. I think that that came into play. Uh, I won't get into that a ton, but yet like that, that happened, but I will say the amount of support that we received, not only public facing, but the messages, the sheer amount of direct messages that Tags and I received in Dan too, the amount of just sh- the sheer amount of DMs and messages of support that we received uh, personally was just shocking. Again, humbling. I'll go back to that. Um, and so, you know, we we quickly turned the corner and we said, all right, how can we move forward? How can we? make the show better moving forward and i think that we've done that i think that the chemistry between dan myself and tags is outstanding i think the podcast is in a better spot now than it ever has been before and so we're excited about you know this uh this new chapter and and we've done things you know from changing the intro music on the on the podcast like that was intentional that was part of a new chapter here for us um excited for and really we haven't even thought much about it because like you said we're we're grinding like we're doing the work of four people we're working 70-hour weeks, um, all that, and we're working to make sure that we get the best content out there that we can and the best fantasy football advice for people. So, yeah, we're, we're working forward, we're moving forward, and we're all in on this season and the future. And so we're excited for what Fantasy Pros is moving towards. And, uh, and yeah, I'll double back. The amount of support that we saw was just outstanding.
1: Yeah, it was cool. I, I was really happy to see you guys get that kind of support because I, I do think you guys handled that with aplomb, with dignity, and, uh, you know, just really cast in this kind of a nightmare scenario. And, um, you know, you guys you guys did weather the storm and, uh, you know, came out of there stronger for it, I think. So, um, well, turning back to football, Kyle, Cliff Kingsbury's offense is not exactly setting off fireworks in Arizona. Uh, I know yards per pass attempt is not a perfect stat by any means, but I do think it's a pretty good one. And Kyler Murray right now is averaging 6.4 yards per attempt, which is pretty mediocre Kirk Cousins territory right there. Uh, I know he's only in his second year, but do you think it's possible that Kyler Murray is basically just a good running quarterback and an average passer? Well, it's frustrating because you can go back to his college tape
0: and you can see on tape that Kyler Murray has a cannon like he can absolutely just, you know, unleash it deep downfield. I think that part of it is the fact that they don't have that field stretching option. They're not utilizing Andy Isabella in that form. Christian Kirk is really has really done nothing up to this point in his career for me to believe that he can be that type of player. Larry Fitzgerald at this point of his career and DeAndre Hopkins is just such such a threat in the short to intermediate passing game that you just get him the ball. So I think that's an aspect that's missing from the offense that would definitely help Kyler Murray be able to, you know, spread out the offense, even though this is a spread offense to begin with, you know, for them, I think they need to spread it out even more by threatening the defense deep downfield with Kyler. He's still a reliable fantasy asset because of his rushing ability, but yet for, what we want to talk about with him as a as a fine passer i just don't think he's there i don't think you can put him in the conversation of some of the better quarterbacks in the nfl from uh from you know the the passing perspective he's he can scoot right we can talk about that as far as his rushing ability but yeah i'm right there with you that this offense is is weird and i've got a bone to pick with cliff kingsbury from his usage of Kenyon drake uh i'm going to be pulling up as soon as the all 22 is uh is put on Game Pass. I'm going to be going to that game. I know exactly the play that I'm going to be pulling up. I'm going to put it out on Twitter. It's that um it's that running back toss at the goal line to Kenyon Drake yesterday against the Carolina Panthers from the 1-yard line. You like the 1-yard line against the Carolina Panthers defense. Just go up the middle. Kenyon Drake over the top. You score easily. Instead, you're going to throw it backwards and have Kenyon Drake try to get to the edge. Like just a terrible, terrible play call. And the offense is looking that way just, you know, all the time. Cliff Kingsbury is not getting it done as a play caller. So I think that that is directly hurting Kenyon Drake and also, you know, Kyler Murray.
1: Yeah, with uh, like I was and maybe this is because I took Kyler Murray at pick 110 in a dynasty startup this summer. But um, (laughs) like I was trying to. I don't know, figure out the possible reasons for this kind of slow start. And and maybe this is too much excuse making, not only for Murray, but also for Kingsbury. Um, like, I wonder if it's, it's sort of hurting them that they have to feel the obligation to keep running out Larry Fitz at this point, because he's just like, you know, not, not even an average slot receiver anymore. And like I, in Christian Kirk's defense, like, I do think he is a slot receiver. I know the, the, he was billed as sort of a guy who could play inside or out, but I really do think like Kirk's best spot is going to be the slot. And that maybe this offense looks a little better next year when he is in the slot. And they've got Deandre Hopkins outside, Isabella outside or whoever else. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's just one theory, but do you have any hope for Drake at this point? I mean, is it pretty much all the play calling in your view? Or do you think like, I don't know, maybe everyone was just too enamored with his, projected role with the Cardinals to, to remember that he'd never really done enough to be regarded as a, a true feature back in Miami. I mean, it's a
0: good question. I think looking at Drake from a fantasy perspective, we have to downgrade him based on what he's putting out on the field. And it's not all the play calling. And I think that with Drake, he's just not going to get done. He's not taking advantage of his opportunities. And I wonder if tags brought this up in a, in a DM earlier today uh, internally saying like, I wonder if that injury that he had to in the preseason or not the preseason in training camp, you know, if that's still lingering, if that is playing a role in what we're seeing with Kenny Drake. So I don't want to necessarily rush to these like major conclusions and say that he's now outside my top 36 running backs for the rest of the season. I'm not going to go that far. I want to stay measured. I want to stay cautious. But yet at the same time, we have to downgrade him from our expectations of he was going to be this locked and loaded RB one. I know that we had people on the fantasy pros football podcast that were so bullish on him that were saying like, this guy is a top five option at the running back position this year, because it's not only you brought up the point, like from what we saw in Miami, well, and his projected role, well, we saw what it looked like in Arizona at towards the end of last season. We saw how, good he can be in this offense but i think if the offense isn't threatening anyone to open up things downfield you know if they're i mean deandre hopkins with his average depth of target and his like yards per completion like just being terrible even yesterday so it's like all of this going into account i just don't don't think the offense is there yet i don't think the offense can be considered a top 15 top 20 offense in the nfl right now which is crazy and that's what drake needs this offense needs to be humming to be able to put Drake in these scoring opportunities. And then once they're in the scoring opportunities, give him the ball up the gut, get get him into the end zone. Don't throw it backwards three yards at the line of scrimmage, you know, and have him beat him around the edge. So I just think that it's just a whole mixture of things here with the Arizona offense that we have to say, I think Drake is a low end RB two at this point.
1: Yeah. And I I, think a lot of people are probably frustrated with the sort of horizontal nature of Kingsbury's offense. At that point, like we were sold that this was going to be this uh, uh, high-flying Big Twelve-style attack, and uh, we kind of haven't gotten that so far. And you make a a good point, or tags made the good point about the injury. Like the season starts once it gets going, it flies by so quickly. You know, we're into week five already, but it was less than two months ago that Kenyon Drake was in a walking boot, and maybe you know, yes, he he cast aside the boot pretty quickly, and we just kind of moved on, and oh he's fine, but like a walking boots, kind of a big deal. And the fact that he was injured enough to need one two months ago, maybe should have raised more red flags for us than it did. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of the, the reasoning, I think, for his disappointing start. Um, all right, Kyle, I know our our time is getting short. You're a busy man in the time we do have left. Let's fire through a few more topics at pretty rapid speed here. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr.'s season had been sort of a mild disappointment until week 4. Uh did his explosion against Dallas fundamentally change the way you view OBJ's fantasy value? It really didn't.
0: I I had identified I had think I had OBJ at like 17 or 18 in my wide receiver rankings for the week. So I was I was in on him this week. I was like classifying him as a wide receiver too with upside this week in this matchup. Dallas is well, I don't know what it is now, but they were the second easiest matchup for opposing fantasy wide receivers on the season they were giving up on average 34 fantasy points and the seattle seahawks are first with like giving up 47 it's ridiculous the gap there but like this was a matchup where you could identify ahead of time that if cleveland is forced to throw the ball a little bit more than what they have previously they only threw the ball 23 times each of week two and week three against the uh washington football team and then cincinnati so This was a game where they threw the ball a little bit more. It created more opportunity here for OBJ. It was a perfect matchup, like all the stars aligned and it and it worked out. So I think moving forward, if you can identify the matchups ahead of time that Cleveland is going to have to throw the ball and we're at the time of recording, we're still waiting to hear on Nick Chubb's injury, and that's going to play a huge role in it. So uh, as far as how often they they throw the ball versus run the ball. So I think that moving forward obj is a solid wide receiver too for your fantasy lineup week in and week out but he does come with this ridiculous blow up upside that if in these matchups that he can absolutely go off so if you can if you can sell high on obj then i think you i think that you should if you can get a ridiculous return on investment then i think that you should based off of this game but otherwise you hold on to him as a wide receiver too
1: yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he did. It, it was like a, a trip back to his New York Giants early days yesterday. And, uh, I, that was kind of one of the reasons I faded him that I thought it, it might be the bronze trying to control the clock with the running game. And they certainly did run the ball effectively yesterday. But, uh, I guess one thing I didn't see was OBJ being a big part of that running game with that just spectacular 50 right, yard right. touchdown run. um, I don't know about you, but I am pretty much all in on Devante Parker right now, Kyle. I mean, it seems weird that a receiver would have such a late breakout in his career, but here we are with this guy. I mean, has Parker made you a believer too?
0: Yeah. At this point, I don't think you can deny what he's doing on the football field and the the aspect of it that is enticing for fantasy is that Miami' is going to have to throw the ball consistently, right? And Ryan Fitzpatrick has shown that he is locking on to Devonte Parker. Preston Williams is not a factor in this offense whatsoever, even though I had believed that he could be. Uh, Gesicki is not factoring in to be much of a, a presence either. So moving forward, Devonte Parker has to be looked at as a solid high end wide receiver too, and I think that you can put him above some of these guys like DJ Moore. Uh, I think that that's a solid name that you can say. I think you you should probably put him above that.
1: I was going to ask you specifically about DJ Moore, that Devontae Parker versus DJ Moore. You would rather have Parker on your yeah, fantasy think, roster right I now? Yeah, I think
0: so. Moving forward, it's crazy to say because I, I I mean, Robbie Anderson is the wide receiver one in Carolina. Now, I liked Anderson coming in. I had him at 35 in my you know draft rankings. I thought that the talk of... Uh, Curtis Samuel being the wide receiver two there, I didn't buy into that whatsoever. But in no way was I projecting that uh, Anderson was going to be the wide receiver one, and Moore would be the wide receiver two. So I think that moving forward, we have to be downgrading DJ Moore. And I think that Devontae Parker is playing out of his mind right now.
1: No, oh, I totally agree with you. And, and on the Anderson thing, I mean, I think I'm at like wide receiver 50 going into the season. I, I was totally oblivious to the impact he was going to have in Carolina. And I know the more thing must just feel like an L to so many fantasy analysts. Cause talk about a guy who's been a darling of the analyst community and uh, it has not been pretty so far. So Justin Herbert just turned in an impressive performance against the Buccaneers in week four and uh, let me add here, Kyle, that just as you acquired Joe Burrow in a pick obtained from Elliott Christ in the Fantasy Pros Dynasty League, I acquired Justin Herbert from Elliott Crist, uh, well, with a pick obtained from Elliott in the Fantasy Pros Dynasty League. So after what we've seen from Herbert in three starts so far, are you ready to believe that this kid is for real?
0: This is an L from me uh, as far as I, Herbert's college tape. And that, that's one of the big things that I do is I watched over 500 games of tape on this past draft class so like that's the majority of my work was done in dynasty before i came on here at fantasy pro so i did not like justin herbert coming out of college did not whatsoever didn't think that he translate his game translated very well but he's proved me wrong and he's proved me wrong in a big way and i think that moving forward now for fantasy purposes there's this hanging over the are the head of justin herbert right now of anthony lynn still is refusing to back him I think that as soon as Tyrod Taylor is healthy, they're going to put Tyrod Taylor back in, and I think that there could be some things working behind the scenes there, where it could be a potential lawsuit, maybe, uh, where where you have a team doctor that uh, forces your starting quarterback to you know miss several games and then gets replaced by the the rookie playing really well. So there's some other things I think playing behind the scenes, but yet. Justin Herbert is playing extremely good football. I don't know if we can necessarily buy into him fully as like a streaming quarterback moving forward. I just don't know yet. But yeah, he's definitely proved me wrong, and I think that I'm I'm perfectly willing to admit that he's playing great right now.
1: Yeah, I didn't think he was that good of a pure passer. I mean, he played my beloved Wisconsin Badgers in the Rose Bowl last year, and. Like I wasn't scared of him as a passer in that game at all. And where he really beat Wisconsin in that game was with his legs and, and running and uh, you know, having a long touchdown run. Um, and he adds a little bit of value there, but he has just been like so much better as a passer than I thought he was going to be. It's, it's kind of crazy. And even, you know, turning in guys like Jalen Guyton into, right. you know, Donald, big, Donald big or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. How should we be viewing Antonio Gibson right now for both this year and longer term?
0: I loved Gibson coming out. Uh, a lot of people wanted to point to his like 77 career touches in college as a you know negative for him. I wasn't I wasn't scared off of that. He's a great talent uh, was obviously at Memphis behind guys like Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard. Um, so he didn't get playing time until this past season. So he's definitely a very explosive athlete. And I think that he's He's the clear guy in this Washington backfield. Now, this Washington offense is not great. So I think that it doesn't present the scoring opportunities here that he could have if he were in a better offense. But the benefit here is that he's starting to become a factor in the receiving game, which is where he actually like that's his best aspect of his uh, of his skill set there. So I think looking at Gibson, he's a solid low end RB2 in this offense this year. If we see Washington, as far as like the long term, if we see Washington move on from Haskins this offseason, they end up with a high enough draft pick that they can bring in someone like a Trevor Lawrence or maybe even Justin Fields, like whatever that looks like, then this offense could bounce up to,
1: you know, more of a dynamic threat. And at that point, sky's the limit for Antonio Gibson. Yeah. And weirdly, you would not have thought of Antonio Gibson as sort of like a guy in the safer range of outcomes, like maybe high floor and low ceiling. But I almost think he's kind of like that now because the QB situation does sort of limit the touchdown upside. And, you know, bad quarterbacking is going to short circuit some drives for them and maybe keep his touch count a lo- little lower than we'd like. But we saw it yesterday and you mentioned it, the receiving uh chops that he has like sort of raises the floor a little bit like a a bad matchup like he had against the ravens yesterday still a playable floor for him because of that passing game usage even if the game script goes south so um all right kyle one last thing we have to talk about we've talked a little bit about the dynasty league we're in together let's go out with a little dynasty talk i absolutely could not have you on my podcast without teeing you up to talk about trey lance so um He's been discussed on this show before with other guests, but for those of you unfamiliar with Trey Lance, he is a quarterback from North Dakota State, which is also the alma mater of Carson Wentz. So it's not like a QB from ND State making it to the NFL would be totally unprecedented. But unusual circumstances this past weekend, North Dakota State had its football season canceled by COVID. Well, mostly canceled because ND State played the only game they'll play all fall. This past Saturday against Central Arkansas, so a lot of people in the draft community had their eyes on Lance. He had kind of a mediocre passing day, 15 for 30, 149 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But Lance can really run, too, and he had 143 rushing yards and a pair of touchdown runs on Saturday. I know you loved his film from 2019, Kyle. First of all, did you get to see any of the Trey Lance highlights from Saturday? I haven't
0: yet. Um, just been too busy with with all the NFL stuff. So I haven't had a chance to go back and watch Trey Lance's performance from the people I've got. You know, a lot of people that I'm connected with in the Dynasty community that were able to watch that game, and they said he didn't look great. Uh, so I think that he push he pushes down his draft stock. Unfortunately, it's just a terrible situation. You know, for for someone like Trey Lance, who I think, I mean, you talk you teased it right, like Trey Lance, you can't uh talk about him without. having me leave the podcast like he's my I had him rated based on film uh, in the 2021 class I had him rated above Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields like I love Trey Lance's 2019 film so as far as moving forward there's the possibility that we see him dip down I don't think that he's going to push with this performance if he had come out and thrown for five touchdowns and was you know looked amazing then I think it would be more of a conversation that he pushes Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields but I think at this point his draft stock falls a little bit. He's more of a developmental project, but yet we could also see him stay another season, you know, because he still does have that eligibility that he could stay another season at North Dakota state and hope to build up his draft stock again. So there's a, you know, it looking long-term, I think that there's a wide range of outcomes here with Trey Lance, but he's still someone based on his 2019 tape and the tools that he possesses that if he does declare this year, he's going to be someone that I'm targeting in my dynasty rookie drafts.
1: Yeah, and the comps for him are, are interesting because, like, I know Daniel Gen- Daniel Jeremiah of uh, NFL.com, NFL Network, he comps him to Andrew Luck. Like, Lance is this big, strong kid, what, like 6'4", 227, uh, you know, really has a hose, maybe not that refined a passer yet, but, uh, you know, and he can really run. Like, he's not just – he's definitely not like a Lamar Jackson type who's run first, pass second. I mean, he's got the potential to be this, you know – strong arm passer who also adds value with his legs uh it will be interesting though and if he does come out Kyle maybe he doesn't go in front of Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields but uh, with the Chicago Bears off to a three and one start your Chicago Bears and uh, definitely in need of a long-term quarterback maybe that could be a match Taylor made for you
0: Oh, my word. You uh, yeah, I might faint if that happens. I'm sure that we'll be doing a a live (laughs) draft again on uh, on YouTube. So I'm sure that if that does happen and, you know, they're in the 20s or who knows. But we at this point, we might go uh, 0 and 12 or 0 and 11 to end the season or whatever it is. So I think, you know, (laughs) uh, with the way the offense looked yesterday. No, I think if that happened, I would definitely faint on on live uh, live television there or whatever. (laughs)
1: well we will be looking forward to that possibility that'll be sort of the uh you know daredevil element of the fantasy pros live draft podcast next year so well kyle thanks for taking the time out of your busy week to come on with me uh it's really been a pleasure getting to know you these past few months and i just have a feeling that we're going to be talking again real soon um yeah man really appreciate your time absolutely thanks so much for having me on man Yeah. Hey, before you run, can you remind people where to find you on Twitter and uh, let them know when the podcasts come out every week? Yeah, of course.
0: Uh, You can find and follow me on Twitter at Kyle And then our fantasy pros football podcast, we have six shows a week. So head on over to, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to listen. Uh, We would love to have you join.
1: Excellent. Thanks again, Kyle. Okay, people, that's the show. Hey, I'm actually going to bring one of these shows in at under an hour, aren't I? Well, then, I better wrap things up quickly so I don't screw it up. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Kyle Yates of Fantasy Pros. Find Kyle on Twitter at KyleYNFL. The producer of the show is Calm Kelly, who has my eternal gratitude for being nice enough to put up with me. You can find Calm Kelly on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My special thanks to colleague Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at TheFootballGirl. And let me express my appreciation to all of you for listening. Thank you for letting me indulge my obsession with fantasy football every week. My wife might not be grateful to you for that, but I'm certainly grateful to you for it. All right, that's a wrap, folks. Be sure to come back again next week when I'll be joined by another great guest. Good luck in week five. Talk to you again soon.
0: Now. confusing Shohei Otani hits pitches and trades crypto he does it all on the platform that trades it all FTX the official crypto exchange of MLB but you don't have to be a pro to trade like one just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto nfts
1: and more in minutes FTX. Show hazen, are you?